0: Welcome back to our Weird History minisode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Today, Melissa and I are joined by a couple of guests, not just one guest, but two this time.
1: We have Caitlin! Hey, guys! Glad to be back on here.
0: And, of course, we have Casey.
1: Hi, guys! I missed you! I'm back! Good! We like it when you're back. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, again.
0: This week, we are talking about... What, what are we talking about, Melissa? And you, I, I still
2: don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> well you then enlighten us. Knows. Yes, please. I shall leave you suspense, Dying
1: of anticipation.
2: We are talking about laughing parties. La- laughing parties? <laughs> laughing parties. Ether and laughing gas parties. Oh, I love Steve. laughing gas. Oh, oh! <laughs> that makes more sense now. <laughs> I told you this is going to be a very, very, very funny episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I just want to say to everybody that this is our last Weird History for this year. So we wanted to try to have something super fun and something where we could get all of our guests on the show and Lauren and I all together and have one last fun romp before our new season starts
3: ending 2021 with a bang and that's yes. laughter well, everyone
2: have a great Christmas this goes out on the, t- the 31st of December
1: Woo. Well, happy holidays everyone Yay. happy
2: holidays Yay. and happy new year yeah yes. happy new year shall we get started yes heck yes oh I imagine the blooper reel for this is going to be kind of long
3: <laughs>
2: oh so we're we are going to have a blooper reel. Well, I can't looper imagine
3: a blooper reel for this. Get the giggles started
2: now. You won't stop by the end. I'm drinking
3: tea. If it starts coming out my nose, it's gonna be a good episode.
2: <laughs> it might. It 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 really might. Okay, so let's get started. So let's uh let's let's start with a couple questions. So hypotheticals. If you had a friend who's a, a scientist of some kind, of an actual scientist. And they asked you to help them in a very special study, but gave you no information beforehand. Would you choose to participate one yes. at a time? Mm, mm, <laughs> No. Lauren says yes. No. We got two yeses and a no. <laughs> no, I, I need details. Mm-hmm. Okay. So elaborate a little more. What if you were at a friend's party and everyone is laughing, everyone's having lots of fun? And then your more eccentric friend pulls out a green silk bag and says it contains some really fun stuff. Something to keep the laughter going, right? And everyone should just take a whiff and have some extra fun. Would you?
1: <laughs> Again, no. I never gave into peer pressure as a kid, never gave into any drugs to have more fun, no.
2: For that, no, because it's not for paper. science. Yeah, I'm with no? the okay. so now imagine it's 1800 there are no cell phones there's no electricity there's no tv standard forms of public entertainment are generally public hangings and maybe bear baiting and dancing and fun social stuff you're at the home of a very strange but very good friend he's a chemist and he's having a get-together with other artists and intellectuals of the time so you've got some odd people there but interesting people everyone's talking everyone's laughing this same person who's a chemist who's having this very big social gathering pulls out said silk green back again and says there's a lots of fun inside just take a smell but it's 1800 now would you do it it depends on what kind of smell it is
3: if it smells anything like floral or mint sure i'd snort that stuff
0: if it's not like one of the weird histories where we talked about the smells that they made for <laughs> museums, I would do it because <laughs> those sound awful—rotting <laughs> flesh, dinosaur poop. <laughs> oh no!
1: You had to bring that episode up. <laughs> now my answer had to definitely be hell. Now <laughs> I, I would. My thing is, I would wait to watch other people do it.
3: Are you going to be one of those boring people at the party that likes to sit in the corner and work on embroidery? No, (laughs) I dance and I
1: party in other
2: ways. I I drink. (laughs) Oh, see, I would be drinking, but also in the corner doing embroidery and just being the observer, watching everyone be stupid, (laughs) but getting
1: a good laugh out of it. See, what people don't get is I'm the party. I bring the party. The party doesn't need to be brought to me. I don't need anything to make me. I'm in it.
2: She's and at least, the truth. at least,
1: can account for that. She's telling the truth, y'all. I don't even need a drink. Oh no. boy! Bring me some music. <laughs> Sexy people. It's we're just we're gonna have a great time. Oh, strippers showing off their ankles and legs. Woo!
0: <laughs> oh, don't forget I love is.
1: intellectuals, and I love artists, so I'd have a lot <laughs> to talk about. Pull around with all that. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be already simulated and busy working in the room
2: all right so now, now that i think the our, our listeners have an idea of everyone's choice of whether or not they'd sniff out of this bag and what kind of person they are at a party <laughs> so i ask these questions because this is kind of the beginning of the medical advancement of what would be known as ether and anesthesia oh yeah but again it's 1800 so instead of trying it in a peer-reviewed study as we would do today you're a Georgian chemist who's trying this new drug out on your friends all the while observing their reactions to further study your effects or its effects and your and your your book that you're writing hey it's still a controlled environment what if something were to happen to me? What if I had an
1: allergic reaction or something? I would be pissed if I found out later that he's using me as a test on me.
3: I would too. Yeah. Were, were people Sue happy back in the 1800s? I think people were bored and looking for some fun. Exactly.
2: But well, would you like to know who this particular person is? Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Right. this particular person may not be familiar to most people. And Lauren, we absolutely have to do a more of an in-depth dive into this guy's life. Because, oh my God, I think he puts most of us to shame. And I and, and mean, most academics to shame too. I mean, for the amount of things he did and just about a three-year time span. Oh my goodness. Workaholic. Yes, Lauren. Can you hurry up and get to the name? I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> yes please (laughs) all right so this strange scientist which is willing friends to participate in this uh, study of his is no none other than Sir Humphrey Davy Hmm. that's a a fun look Lauren
1: the name sounds familiar it really does
3: Uh, I just can't put a finger on where I would hear such a name before
2: well uh, let's get into it and maybe uh, your brain will jog something So he's a self-taught scientist, an inventor, and chemist who advanced so much of our medical and scientific knowledge in the early 1800s. And I mean, a lot. So a brief history on him before we get into the parties, because we got to get back to the parties. So Humphrey was born on December 17th, 1778 in Cornwall, England, and was the son of a poor woodcarver. Now, as a child, he was very naturally curious and very naturally intelligent and could often be found writing fiction and poetry. So he's one of those quiet kids. Quiet, but studious kids, yes. It seems like
1: a jack of all trades. He's a poet, an artist, and a scientist. How
2: awesome. He must have been quite the catch. We'll look into it. Let's see how this works out. He was also very interested, as I mentioned, in the natural world and an avid collector of rocks and minerals. The age of 20, he had taught himself several different topics, theology, science, chemistry, philosophy, and by age 20, he had learned seven different languages.
3: That's crazy. Oh my gosh, I feel
1: so unaccomplished in life right now. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sounds imagine right. that's that's probably all within maybe like 10 years, because he probably started in around age 10, maybe. That's impressive. Sponge, that young mind. Wow. But well, then
3: again, <laughs> they had a lot more time back then.
2: True, but he also, they they were sort of lower middle class family too. So he was lucky he was able to get this information because public libraries really weren't much of a thing and he probably only had very minimal schooling.
1: And I'm sure the lower classes didn't have much time to kind of learn that kind of stuff because they were working in the fields and farming and all that. So not a lot of people had
2: a lot of time. Right. And he was more likely doing apprenticeship stuff too, which he actually was. So he actually started off at around age 16 as an apprentice to an apothecary surgeon.
3: That would explain it.
2: Mm-hmm. And not long after he began his apothecary apprenticeship, which his, his father died when he was 15 and he became an apothecary surgeon apprentice at 16. And not long after he started his apprenticeship, he befriended a man named Davies Gilbert, who was a Georgian engineer. The two of them lodged together, shared a library and a laboratory, and according to Gilbert, Davy was always very enthusiastic about his work. It was also during this time, while studying various gases, that Davy came upon nitrous oxide. Now, nitrous oxide was actually discovered in 1772 by Joseph Priestley, who surprisingly will be mentioned in the next weird history that was completely unexpected and also the man who invented seltzer water no yes oh wow yes cool mm-hmm. oh man That's seltzer really- water was invented before 1776 and the american revolution so imagine the fun stuff they could have been drinking <laughs> i'm i'm just throwing out some years here. So the theory of the time was principle of contagion which meant that cause that nitrous oxide itself was likely the cause of many of the diseases at the time and which was a weird thing to think of. And Davy actually went out of his way to prove whether this was true or not which as a scientist you're typically wanting to do. But in order to do that he would typically inhale it himself and have his peers also inhale nitrous oxide to prove this theory correct or incorrect. Good Lord. Hey, pass the boof. Hey, this might be the cause of several contagions. Have a whiff of this stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So according to historian Mike J, when Davy inhaled it for the first time, he was astonished to find this incredible wave of euphoria and energy. He started leaping around the laboratory, shouting and screaming and laughing. <laughs> i laughing. Mother out. of mercy. So Davy would apparently continue to test it on himself for many, many more months. Test it on himself in- or was he addicted? Both. Okay, seems fair. And uh, when he finally deemed it didn't have any harmful side effects, he decided it would be okay to test it on other people. Hence the parties. But yes, it does cause addiction. He definitely livened the place up a
3: bit. It's
1: a mood elevator, so I would get addicted to it too, I'm sure. You know, a lot like other people get addicted to drugs to kind of, you know, elevate themselves and to make them more sociable and
2: Well, I mean, even to this day, laughing gas is still a misused substance outside of dentists. Is it? I've never heard of. I didn't think so either. I mean, it's not highly used, but uh, at least in places like LA and New York, uh, back when clubs were still a thing, (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) socials um yeah we don't do that anymore we don't hang out um but back back when clubs and nightclubs and and things like that were still going around there were there were nitrous oxide parties and places you can go to have ether party well they don't do ether parties anymore but yeah
1: good I was gonna say that is so fascinating to me I mean I've heard of whippets (laughs) but I never heard of anyone bringing a a thing of laughing gas to their parties you know what whippets is
2: huh you know what whippets is it's laughing gas. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay, there you go.
1: Whippets. Yes, it's a laughing gas. Oh, okay. It, it's
2: a form of nitrous oxide.
1: I didn't know it was the laughing gas, though. I mm. thought it was a form of it that that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. my, my 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 grandmother makes homemade whip, whipped cream and she her and my dad does too, and they'd always put it in your mouth, you know, you get that that air,
3: you know. So I mm-hmm. guess I guess I was getting some laughing gas. Wait, they actually pump laughing gas in cans of whipped cream?
2: It's called laughing gas because it gives you a sense of euphoria. But nitrous oxide is the chemical compound. So here we
3: are in a local grocery store selling nitrous oxide just casually in can. And with, with some whipped cream and added sugar.
0: I mean, it's in most canned things in that sense. Like your canned cheese
3: whiz and stuff like that, because that's how they pack it. I thought they used some other things, but now I think I'll buy more cans of Cool Whip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is the holidays. Think about it. It's, it's the holidays. You gotta live. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't take it to Tennessee on a plane.
1: <laughs> I wanna be invited to your party, Caitlin. <laughs> Oh,
0: it'll be
3: wild.
2: Yeah. Oh, Lord. Do we want to continue hearing about uh, Mr. Humphrey Davies? Because it gets crazy. Yeah, bring on the crazy. <laughs> All right. So by 1798, by the time he was about 20, he had actually gained a position at the Thomas Beddoes Pneumatic Institution. Fancy. He spent four years being an apprentice and now he's got a... a an internship essentially. And it was here that he went on to, the pneumatic institution was typically used for discovering new gases, new cures, disease preventions and things like that. So it's actually kind of interesting. Maybe we should do an episode on that too. And here patients would actually stay overnight or stay for a certain period of time. They would receive treatments that the institution has come up with to try to help cure certain diseases and see if they can actually cure things like rheumatism or gout or something, mainly by inhaling various gases because they're naturally occurring. So basically
3: curing people of their diseases by getting them high.
2: Well, not solely with (laughs) nitrous oxide. That's just one of the gases they were working with, but they tried to see if they couldn't find a cure for tuberculosis by using a naturally occurring gas that you breathe in. Hmm. Makes sense. I
3: mean, tuberculosis affects the lungs. Yeah. So I could see how they would put two and two together.
1: Yeah. Kind of like an aerosol, you know, like, you know, maybe they figure out how to put an inhaler or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I'm just more curious about how the gas is supposed to kill the virus, but, or bacteria in this case.
1: It- it probably would kill the nervous system.
3: <laughs> I imagine using it. Well, hey, if it kills the nervous system, they can't feel anything, right? True. They can't feel the pain from the disease racking through their body, <laughs> so they'll be okay. So they're cured. Oh, that's that's one way to think about it. That's For a cure, Yeah. <laughs> you can't have a disease if you can't feel it. <laughs> oh god.
2: <laughs> oh god, she got at least joking. <laughs> well, well uh, let's continue because uh, she's only going to keep laughing. <laughs> so, <laughs> this work on gases was furthered by James Watts, and he actually created an apparatus for actually inhaling these gases. And this is where the green silk bag comes into play. It's a green silk bag that actually held the glass. So, inside the glass, th- there was a, a container with the gas inside that was held inside the glass. And then through the top of the, the glass, there was it another tube, which you would then inhale. You, you've gone to the doctor's office where they do the pump for your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. All right, yeah. so you know that squeezing apparatus, if they do it manually?:
1: Yes., yeah. yes. okay. So yes. imagine
2: that is a, 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 a hard glass vial filled with a gas. And the tube coming out of it is where you would inhale. So it's like those old fashioned perfume bottles. Yes. Neat. Fancy. And a silk bag to make it fancy. We extra Mm fancy. So in order to get the patients to inhale the gas, they would actually hold their nose closed so they'd have to inhale through the throat. So that nothing escapes. Yeah, I guess. So after finalizing his work on the nitrous oxide, Davy actually wrote a book as a treatise to the medical profession, rec- rec- recommending it as an anesthetic, because really at this time, there really weren't any medical anesthetics anyway. You were getting the patient drunk, literally having them bite down on that bullet or wooden piece if you're gonna do an amputation surgery. And he was one of the very first, if not the first proponent for using nitrous oxide as an actual medical anesthetic specifically for surgeries, which we yes. now actually use. And if you want to read this book, it's called Researches, Chemical and Philosophical. I hate these long titles. Researches, Chemical and Philosophical Chiefly Concerning Nitrous Oxide. And a uh, side note, if you want to read it, it's almost 600 pages long. And this is written in 1800.
3: There's going to be a lot. A lot of
2: text. A
0: lot of time to
2: write. A lot of long words. It's it's a yeah it's a 580 page book written in 1800. Jesus, yeah. (sighs) I really like his
0: work. I'm literally just thinking about about him sitting at a desk just writing, like, and then at some point I think he'd just
3: die at the desk. he wouldn't die at a desk he would just have to huff a little bit more stuff to keep him going (laughs) at some point
2: out of a 580 page book he'd just go (laughs) to be honest that's probably what he was doing it wasn't caffeine it was probably nitrous oxide to keep him going (laughs) while he was writing it so because of his breakthroughs and his championing of this laughing gas as an anesthetic he was actually appointed a professor of chemistry to the royal institution in london in 1801 you're 20 years old you write a nearly 600 page treatise on nitrous oxide and by the age of 21 you're now a professor professor of chemistry for the royal institution of london yeah, yeah. big title so, yeah oh it gets like the oh the, the the accolades this guy got over the years which i'll go into literally puts a lot of people to shame for the amount of things he was able to get done in his life. I'll get into it in just a minute. Not long after, Alessandro Volta created the electric pile, which is actually a form, an early form of batteries. That's how we get voltage from. And he created that in 1800. Davy soon became interested in electricity itself and how it actually worked. And through his various electrical electrochemical experiments, he actually concluded that in order for one substance to react to another substance, it is in and of itself electrical in nature because it's electrochemical. And this was very new. And he actually posited that electrolysis itself was a likely means of decomposing all substances to their base elements, which he's actually correct on, and presented this information in a lecture called on some chemical agencies of electricities, And okay. I will get into it in just a minute, but this guy had some serious, serious charisma as well. He wasn't just an old boring, fuddy-duddy scientist who lived in a lab. This guy was charismatic. He was very social. He had friends in various places, and he was a workaholic. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So in just a handful of years, starting in 1807, he would discover, again, he's 27 years old at this point. Give or take, well, no, I'm sorry. Math, what is my math? 1778, so 1808, no, that's 20. Yeah, he's nearly 30 years old at this point, right?
3: He is 30, yes.
2: Yeah. So, starting at the age of 29, he would discover through the next handful of years a variety of incredibly important minerals that some of which we need to survive. uh, These were, I lost my notes here, where am I going? Potassium, magnesium, barium, boron. Chlorine, iodine, and sodium.
1: Impressive list of discoveries. That's incredible.
2: Oh, yeah. We found a
3: chemical in bananas and a chemical in fireworks.
2: Yay. <laughs> Which is also electrochemical in nature. Mm hmm. There was also a prevailing theory at the time known as Lavoisier's theory that stated oxygen was the principal reason for things being acidic. Davy proved this wrong because it is wrong, but he did this wrong by showing his peers that there was an acid that didn't contain oxygen. And it's a very common acid that we use to this day called hydrochloric, or hydrochloric acid, which only contains hydrogen and chlorine
3: aka your stomach (laughs) we use it every day (laughs) we do and it's the most acidic substance
2: known to man right now
3: yep
2: (laughs) One another one of his inventions was this one's really cool it's called a miner's lamp which doesn't sound all that special but at the time miners would take open flame lamps and depending on typically depending on what kind of mine you're in a lot of fire and accidents because a lot of the gaseous chemicals which you, if you've heard about the canaries in the mines and you take the canary and the canary falls over you know it's too dangerous to continue because you don't have any form against the you don't have gas nets or anything to work in those deadly mines lack of oxygen that too yeah so In order to light up the mines they generally had open flames so he actually created a wire gauze around the flame which stopped the methane gas in these mines from igniting the lamps and causing death and fire and explosions hmm genius are you ready for a list of his accolades because this is long
3: sure let's hear them She's like i need a moment i need a moment
2: thought. and i would wait for comments until the end because this is but t- like this is a lot two page long no no not that long okay okay. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> so this is everything that's happened and so between 1807 and essentially 1826 or so okay so you got most of these done and a period of about 20 years. Not only as a professor of chemistry at the Royal Institution, he was a fellow of the Royal Society in 1807, served as its president from 1820 to 1827, was awarded the Copley Medal in 1805, received the Napoleon Prize in 1807, was awarded an honorary LLD from Trinity College in Dublin in 1811, was knighted in 1812, actually had Michael Faraday as his personal student assistant. And they went on a European tour together between 1813 and 1815. He met French Empress Marie-Louise in 1815. He was made a Baron in 1818. He earned the Royal Society's Royal Medal for his work in electric chemistry in 1826. He was actually trying to find a way to prevent saltwater erosion of uh, to the saltwater erosion of popper using iron and zinc to help save some ships and things like that, was awarded both gold and silver rum for metals, and was a founding member of the Zoological Society of London.
3: That guy sounds decorated as hell. How is that for middle
1: class baby mic drop? That's
2: <laughs> <laughs> amazing i'm so jealous you go from being a a, like lower middle class to being made a baron you went from knight to baron pretty impressive a massive leap yeah
3: that's something
2: yes so according to friends and colleagues as i mentioned he was a very very charismatic person and apparently an incredibly good public speaker So, so good that he would draw in incredibly large crowds at the Royal Institution, any time he gave a lecture on anything. And in fact, sometimes the crowds would be lined up for blocks outside the institution, just waiting to get into the building to watch him give a lecture. That's crazy.
1: Now, I want to change my answer. I wish I had more faith in him in the beginning.
2: I'll be his test subject any day. Bring it. Yes, going back to the original questions. If your friend was Humphrey Davy and who he said, hey, you want to have some fun, take a whiff of this, you probably can yeah. him. <laughs> yeah.
3: Here, smell this.
2: <laughs> Although, to be fair, he was doing this before. 1807 so he didn't have the whole slew of accolades at that point he was only oh. about 20. No I'm just 24-ish. saying
1: 24 ish knowing what we know now I feel like I very I feel very sad that I underestimated him
2: but also keep in mind he was incredibly charismatic and probably to talk to you into doing it yeah that would be probably be correct it's to this day Well, now we're done with the brief biography on Humphrey Davy. How about we get back to his laughing parties? Yes. Yes, please. So with this first party, again, historian author Mike J writes that the party attendees would shout out, quote, give me more, give me more. This is the most pleasurable thing I have ever experienced. (laughs) I can imagine. And he said, he he wrote down that guests would be running around the house, running up and down the stairs, all over the house, spatting odd things they later would not remember. And if you've ever been around someone after they've had their wisdom teeth taken out or watched some YouTube clips of people having had their wisdom teeth taken out and they were still high on nitrous, yeah, imagine that, (laughs) but people running around the house.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh! Because in the dent in the dentist office, they don't even want you to get up after you've had that. They want you to take your
2: time. So these people are like raging and raving. Like, also <laughs> at the dentist office, it's, it's controlled. True.
3: That is also a good point. So imagine <laughs> how much that he let them inhale.
2: Give me more, <laughs> more, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my! The- the before- Pass it I became- here, brother. Yeah, really. Before it became known as laughing gas, it was also referred to as the gas of paradise. Oh, oh that's very fitting. That's beautiful. I love that. So, another one of his guests, a poet, Robert Southey, actually wrote to his brother later on, his brother Tom, about his experiences using this, this gas. And this is a little long, but I have to include this. And he wrote, Oh, Tom. Such a gas has Davy discovered. Oh, Tom, I have had some. It made me laugh and tingle in every toe and fingertip. Davy has actually invented a new pleasure for which language has no name. Oh, Tom, I am going back for more this evening. It makes one so strong and so happy, so gloriously happy without any after debility, but instead it increased strength and activity of mind and body. Oh, excellent airbag. Tom, I am sure the air in heaven must be this wonder-working gas of delight. Oh, excellent airbag!
3: That's what I was
0: about to say! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Tom!
3: <laughs>
2: oh, excellent airbag! Give me more! I feel like I want to put that on a shirt. Oh, excellent (laughs) airbag. You should make those and sell them. Oh my God. Do it. Merch, Lauren? Merch, maybe? Well, I mean, we are considering it. We are considering some merch right now, yeah. (laughs) The funniest thing about all of these to me is as the gas partook and this nitrous oxide, Davey would actually ask them I don't know how this really works because they're kind of out of their minds, but would ask them to record and write how they felt while inhaling the gas and Mm -hmm. then use their answers and his own observations to publish his book that he wrote in 1800. Could they even write? I've got a few uh, examples.
0: I mean, if if I was a scientist, I would be doing the same thing. I'd want to know the effect. (laughs) <laughs> I need well, to know
3: well imagine how high they must have been that's why I asked if they could write because depending on how much they inhaled could they even move their hand properly to write legibly oh
2: that's what I-, I was thinking too I agree,
0: but at the same time, I'm in the scientific mind. I can understand why he asked them to do it. But I would also probably be in the room just for observation purposes, too, and be like, this person yeah.
1: seems like they're having a good time. And I don't know why I can just visualize people at this party like slapping each other saying, Can you feel your face? Can you feel? Can you feel I can't feel anything, <laughs> man. Like, I know that's outside of what we were just discussing, but I don't know why that image just came in my head. Like hitting each other with stuff. Like, that's hilarious.
2: That comes up later. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did they write? So, let's see, where did I leave off? So, um, one of the recordings that was written down that was then used in this publication. So, knowing all this, I really want to read this book. Does anybody else want to read this book too? Me.
3: Christmas <sighs> list. <laughs>
2: adding it, adding hard. it to my list of stuff on Amazon to read. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the recordings was actually of Peter Mark Roger, or Roget. I, it sounds French to me. The author himself of Roger's thesaurus. So an intellectual and he wrote, I seemed to lose the sense of my own weight, and I imagined I was sinking into the ground. Thoughts rushed like a torrent through my mind, as if their velocity had suddenly been accelerated by the bursting of a barrier, which before retained them in their natural inequable course. My brain went crazy, and I felt like I was sinking into the floor. <laughs> and I'm then poet- playing, but I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Poet Samuel Coleridge was also at this party and described his experience as like returning from a walk in the snow into a warm room. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) It's very poetic coming from a poet. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, it took a while for this gas to sort of catch on to the general public, and particularly in its use as a medicine, specifically as part of an, an analgesic. So imagine... You were championing this in 1800, but it doesn't really pick up until the 1830s, at which point Davies has already passed away. So he spends most of the rest of his time kind of like you know, advocating for it, but it doesn't really pick up until a little later. But by the late 1830s, it became a very big hit in both Europe and America. And then America is where it gets crazy, because of, of course it does. Of course, we always
1: have to bring it up a notch or I two. Say, I was gonna say
0: we take everything. To the we
2: extreme. we tend to have to take things to the extreme. Everything's well, bigger wait. in America. <laughs> well, We're copying me. Slightly off topic. I don't remember what the episode specifically was about, but it was. It was, I think, today. I today, yeah, I think today I found out episode on YouTube, but it was about a birth aid, like like using gas itself on on women who were giving birth, and it was mm-hmm. I think created in Germany, and it took off and did really well if you were very very controlled about it. That way you weren't overdosing the mother, but it it apparently had sort of an, an effect. I think it was actually laughing gas or ether. But it sort of had an effect of giving them a little more, this is all before, of course, epidurals, but giving them a little more numbness to the pain of giving birth. But it took off and it did really well in Europe because it was very, very controlled. But when it came to America, they decided, we don't have time to train people, here's some gas. So instead of crying in pain from labor, you're crying with laughter. No, what actually happened is that they didn't, they they were supposed to do it in very small increments and give them a very specific type of dose as you go on through the labor, because labor can take hours and hours and hours. And it was just generally to help with the pain. But in America, we took it completely the wrong way. And in fact, it became so bad that they would give women way bigger doses than they were supposed to get. And in fact, it sort of knocked out their memory of even giving birth so that when they finally gave, when the woman woke up and they gave them the child that they just delivered, they're like, that's not my child. I don't, I haven't given birth yet.
3: Oh, I was thinking along the lines of what is this?
2: <laughs> I think you would recognize it as a baby though. <laughs>
3: this looks like a ham.
2: Mm-hmm. But so the whole point of the episode was saying that, I mean, th- th- it was talking about this as a whole, but the important in the American portion was that this would actually happen and kind of lead to things like postpartum depression. But then in America, it was they were saying, well, this new medical stuff doesn't work because it, it, you know, it's, it's doing this. Well, it doesn't work because she didn't do it properly. That's why Women would actually forget that they gave birth and think
0: they still had a baby inside them, basically. Because they were in- it was so strong because we didn't properly train people. Jesus. That's
1: horrible. That that's- or imagine sorry, oh. go ahead. I was gonna say that, or i imagine that, you know, like kind of like when a woman gives birth via C-section and she doesn't push it out, and she kind of gets in shock afterwards because all of a sudden it's just out of her body. I imagine a lot of women would go oh. into shock. Yeah. I mean, and weren't they still using this in the 1950s? Because a lot of women, you know, (laughs) have gone under giving birth in the 50s, too. How long did this go on for? I wonder.
2: Up and through the 60s, I think, if I remember. 60s. That's a long time. Up until the time, time, at least epidurals were created. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: So they had the choice to either go under or get jabbed.
2: Well, essentially before an epidural you had the choice of being knocked out or being completely natural but yeah that and, 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 and the whole point of this sort of side tangent is we don't do things always properly and take it to the extreme
3: yeah right because yeah. we're america
2: right so in america a very famous philosopher and historian named William Jones, decided that taking nitrous <laughs> was akin to a very powerful spiritual and mystical experience. Go figure. Yeah, right? And claimed that while under, he once experienced, quote, the fusing of dichotomies into unity and a revelation of ultimate truth. However, when the high faded. He found he could no longer communicate with the universe. I wonder why.
1: <laughs> Sounds like other experiences with drugs.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> shrooms. Yep.
1: Definitely. The everything, shrooms. Is, everything is one. We're all connected <laughs> with
2: nature. LSD. <laughs> There's that yeah, if you have a good trip. Yep. I was about go. to say LSD. So this is where... Um, laughing gas, and dentistry come into play. So American dentist Horace Wells decided that after noticing the numbing effects of nitrous that it would actually be very helpful in dentistry. Yeah, you think? So much in fact that he used it on himself when he needed to tooth extract just to test it out and see if it worked.
1: Brave. Wow taking so, i would never want to pull out my own tooth oh no he didn't,
2: he didn't pull out his own tooth he had another dentist remove a tooth for him but oh,
1: i thought you said like used it on himself when he was taking
2: his own tooth out that's sorry. No, that's okay. what i thought too sorry let me elaborate he used the gas on himself while he had dental surgery
1: Thanks for clearing that up. okay whole <laughs> image in my head. I was like, "Wow, that guy's brave." Oh yeah, gutsy. <laughs> like, here, let me do this right here. Pulling out the wrong tooth. Oops! Oops! Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Time to put it back in. <laughs> so this is kind of how it went. Um, Uh, He attempted in America to push it as a use as an anesthetic in surgery because it works so well for his dental surgery, but it didn't work out because uh, he didn't determine what the dosage ought to be, and it went very badly. Like, I think he killed killed somebody and then um, unfortunately committed suicide a couple years later because of the guilt of killing somebody by accident oh yeah so another colleague of wells william morton who was just a con artist and scoundrel found that ether also worked just as well as nitrous oxide and after experience experimenting with ether on himself and his dogs he was successful in introducing ether as a surgical painkiller instead of nitrous oxide Mm. yes lauren <laughs> I don't like him either. No, no, I don't like him I at do. all.
0: No, I don't. And
2: like him. this particular, in, in terms of the incident with Horace Wells and introducing ether, this is actually an, an a an event called the ether dome. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> ether the ether dome. dome. <laughs> yeah it took place on October 16th 1846 at Massachusetts General Hospital and he actually administered now this is not Wells this is Morton. administered ether through a custom-built inhaler to a patient that would have been prepped for surgery the dean of the hospital then performed the surgery uh, on a man who was having a cancerous tumor removed the man awoke and said he barely had any recollection of the surgery and from there it Ether took off. Well, and success. It, yeah, it was. And in fact, it became so popular <laughs> as a numbing agent. I don't, I feel like I probably put it in here, but if I didn't put it in here, no, I have it in here. Okay. So I'm just going to go back to ether. Down. We're almost done. And it became so popular that both ether and nitrous not only became used at parties all over Europe and the Americas, or at least in America, it became used as traveling medical shows and carnivals. Oh, okay. <laughs> Entertainment. <laughs> there were even exhibits for a very small fee. Participants could go up on stage and hail this new wondrous gas and Ooh. probably end up doing stupid things, being laughed at in front of the crowds.
1: Kind of like the hypnotist of today. They, they you know, hypnotize you and you do stupid shit, and everyone's like, oh, you know? Yep.
2: <laughs> Don't you wish they recorded these episodes so that you could see it today? Aww. If only. I mean, I think the closest we'll get is the wisdom tooth videos but they're still funny close enough yeah so one of these was actually created by medical student Gardner Q Colton in 1840s and he was i obviously he's a failed medical student but he found that instead of going through and getting his complete degree that it because he was a poor medical student that he could make more money doing these side shows and traveling medical shows and made a traveling show with nitrous as its main act and even advertise it as, quote, a grand exhibition of the effects produced by inhaling nitrous oxide, exhilarating, or laughing gas. That's a title. Do you
1: think that these traveling shows would delegitimize like how, the, the professional use of the, these wonderful gases for the medical purposes by making it into a
2: side show? or? I think in this case, it was more of a promotion because you could actually make it aware to the public like what it actually does to you and and promote it as a therapy surgeries it's called building trust
1: (laughs) well no but like if you're doing it for entertainment's sake that's not really showing the true medical side of it that's showing the entertaining side of people getting high and effed up and going crazy and
3: but it's still exposing the public in a sense to where they become more aware of it, thus building trust on it. Yeah.
2: And then they abuse it and have ether parties and, and get high. Yeah. Woo. Right. So yes, Lauren. We do the same thing today. Yeah. With a lot of
0: lot of medicines. So yep. it's something's changed. So it still
2: has its medicinal purpose at the end of the day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, Colton would actually invite, quote, gentlemen of the first respectability, no ladies allowed, to come on stage and try this nitrous oxide, many of whom would be seen jumping, singing, and dancing, and doing other crazy silly stuff on stage in front of large crowds. (laughs) Hey, it's entertainment. It was actually at one of these, these shows that Horace Wells actually went up on stage and took part in this with a friend of his, And his friend fell over, like Horace Wells was all like, My face is numb. I can't feel my face. His friend fell over and hurt his leg when he tripped over, I think, a chair. But he didn't notice because he was so numb to the effect of the pain. So it was after this that Horace Wells said, This should be used in surgery. Let me use it on myself first. And that's kind of where it took off from there, at least for nitrous oxide and ether was sort of later used. Now with the increase of the ether and these ether frolics and the nitrous, it became all the rage, as we said, there's parties and parties of people just getting high. And here, people wouldn't kill the gas, they'd get high, obviously hilarity and oddness would ensue. It sort of sounds a bit like fun actually, but unlike nitrous, however, ether is incredibly flammable. Flammable. Flammable? so one light, <laughs>
0: it's
2: like excuse me while i light up my pipe <laughs> um yes <laughs> actually mm-hmm. so okay. in fact those that used it in liquid form had a propensity to catch things on fire when they were also in the stupor and in fact this liquid form of ether made your mouth very flammable as well oh well, no they- people would end up catching their breaths on fire. So that makes one, for good entertainment too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. One article from 1878 in Popular Science Monthly described an event as such. The drinker in this instance was reported to always be taking ether when one day after swallowing a quantity of it, he went to light his pipe and caught his breath on fire. A person near him helped the burning man and poured water quickly into his mouth, by which the flame was put out and no great harm was done.
3: Oh. Well, first he could—he discovered he could breathe fire, and the next instance he was water tortured mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or waterboarded, whatever, whatever the term. Water torture, it's, it's,
2: waterboard—it's
0: the same thing. Dunked. It's torture via water. So you're still getting dunked.
2: Yeah. Ah. Oh there's even a song it's called the ether song and it was written in 1850 by scotch doctor douglas mclagon and i'm like i i'm i'm just gonna read out the lyrics but it's to the tune of yankee doodle dandy no yes the wonderments will never cease in physic it is most sure sir the vapors once were a disease but now they are a cure sir so if aches and pains should torture you, on ether spend your money. You may be drawn in quarter two and only think it's funny. Sounds about right, yeah. Uh huh.
3: <laughs> a jolly old tune to someone else's suffering. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like
2: humanity, Count <laughs> to a T. hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in funnier times with this too, uh, while this craze continued for several decades. French cartoonist Cham also made several satirical cartoons starting in 1847, and these are very funny, Uh, we will definitely be putting these up when we post this, depicting people in the throes of a drug, so he would actually do them, there would be, quote, dueling swordsmen, engaged in an affair of honor with bottles held to their noses while they ravage each other with rapiers, oblivious to the pain, there's one- (laughs) With a boy receiving a whipping, but he's sniffing at a bottle. Another with a man waking up to find a wooden leg beside him in his bed, appalled to discover that one of his actual legs had been amputated while he slept oh my god that is
3: really really crazy first they try to first they try to stab each other to test and see how high their pain tolerance is then a kinky guy is sniffing out of the bottle getting whipped by a god who knows what and there's a guy with no leg
2: well these are satirical cartoons
3: it's still well i mean given the time period i wouldn't doubt that it would have actually happened
2: it wouldn't surprise me would you like to hear a story about a scottish doctor trying to figure out some of this stuff because um it's good it's funny please sure yeah so also in 1847 in scotland three doctors ran an experiment to actually find a less harmful painkiller than ether because ether also has some bad side effects and this was led by sir james simpson And in a fashion similar to ether and nitrous parties, the men decided to meet on Thursday evenings to partake in smelling smelling gases and liquids in hopes of finding a better option. Aside from the experiment, of course, being unusual and testing it on yourself and just smelling a random sample of gases and liquids, the extra unusual part is that Simpson decided to choose only samples that had a more fragrant and agreeable odor. So perfume. Yeah, I guess sort of. Speaking of a fragrance in ether, going back to uh, Morton for just a second. Another thing to despise about him is at one point he tried to add orange extract, like orange smells to ether and then tried to pass it off as a patent that he created in order to get money on was essentially just a naturally occurring gas, and almost succeeded in getting royalties for this ether that he didn't actually create because it lives in the natural world. But eventually, he was shut down. Scoundrel. Mm. Another thing that these three doctors also tried to do because the ether doesn't dispel very quickly. They wanted to find also a compound that would evaporate at room temperature so it could also be quickly absorbed into the bloodstream via the lungs. So, one night, on a Thursday, on November 4th, their next choice of gases and liquids was up. Would you like to take a guess? It's another one, very commonly used, not anymore quite so, but you would put it on a rag and snip it up. Or we put it on a suspecting... Oh. Here, what does this chloroform <laughs> smell? smell like? See it in movies all the time. Yeah. Would you like to take a guess what that was? Chloroform. Can you yeah. already said it? Yeah. Chloroform. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Delicious smelling mm-hmm. chloroform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen, too. <laughs> so apparently chloroform had actually been discovered in the 1830s. And America, it even, okay, this is, this is weird. It had a brief stint as a sipping tonic specifically in Sackett Harbor, which I think is in Minnesota or Michigan, Michigan. So yeah, chloroform was a sipping tonic for okay. a brief period of time in a specific place in America. Other than that, however, the liquid didn't seem to actually have much of a use because it had an odd smell, it didn't taste that great. They couldn't really, the person who discovered it couldn't really find a placehold or a, 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 a footing as to where to use it, medically or any other kind of way. So you cut to Scotland now on November 4th in 1847. The three men, and their typical Thursday evening experiments, filled three small glasses with this liquid and then began inhaling it through these small glasses. Simpson recalled thinking, this is far better than ether. And then promptly began to collapse on the floor of his study in dazed confusion. (laughs) (laughs) His assistant Duncan was eventually found under a chair snoozing. And then after waking and recollecting themselves, they actually was like, that was fun. Let's do it again. For science.
1: Heck yeah.
2: Anything for science. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) And this time... Other family members were brought in to this second experiment of sniffing chloroform. And they wanted to try it too because it it was like, oh, it looked like fun. So Simpson's niece-in-law actually became so intoxicated she was heard calling out, I'm an angel, I'm an angel, and then she fell asleep on the table.
3: (laughs) Not so angelic now.
2: (laughs) So apparently the entire group would continue to just smell the liquid chloroform until it had evaporated and they'd all been collapsed on the floor, snoozing. And then everyone, after it evaporated, they were sort of brought back from their high. Now with the experience being, quote, a smashing <laughs> success, because <laughs> Simpson and his colleagues quickly manufactured it for medical use as in, uh, anesthetic. And over time, painkillers would be developed other painkillers will be developed for surgeries and medical practice. However, anyone want to care to answer this question? Out of these three major anesthesics, okay, Lauren not Lauren's dad's a doctor, so she can't answer this question, she probably knows the answer. <laughs> but between ether, chloroform, and nitrous oxide, which one of these is still in use to this day?
3: Nitrous oxide.
2: Yeah. That's
1: what I was going to vote for.
2: The safest one, Yeah.
3: If it if it can be put in whipped cream, then it could also be used still at the dentist's office. And I you, love laughing gas. You. I'll be honest, I love it. <laughs> no, I mean when, especially back when I was a kid, I would always request laughing gas whenever they would put me, um, get me numbed up, and do some some oral surgery on me. And I I just loved hearing all the voices in my head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: see i I don't know about that i i actually hate anesthetics at all any of them Uh, i don't i mean i will use them if i need to obviously for surgeries because i don't want to be awake for it but i hate feeling the the sensation of something not natural pumping through my bloodstream it it weirds me out and then i don't like not being in control of my faculties
3: Mm -hmm. well even if you feel light
2: I don't yeah, like it, it. Like I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it at all. I mean, I don't even mind like having occasional drink, but I don't even, I don't like being intoxicated either.
1: Oh yeah, oh, I, don't well, that, way. I don't, that's a different kind of feeling. That's different, yeah.
2: It's still a, a I don't like being buzzed, if that makes sense, you know, don't, it doesn't matter whether it's from,
3: you know. You don't like your homeostasis to be unbalanced.
2: Yes, I don't even like taking Benadryl.
0: Okay. He doesn't like taking meds. Period.
2: Not really. I just, I just don't like the, the like. I don't. I especially if it's something that's supposed to make me sleepy. I my my instinct is to try to push through it, which I've done with Benadryl before because I am an insomniac. So I've tried Benadryl before to try to get me to put like put me out so I can finally get some sleep sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I I there's. There is one thing that will knock me out quicker than anything, and it's naturally occurring. And it's Meltonin. simple to make, and it tastes good. I I can make a 12 ounce mug of chamomile tea, drink half of it, and be out before I finish the rest of the six ounces.
3: What? How can you not be bothered by your bladder during that time? It's 12 ounces of water. That stuff goes right through. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not if pee- I drink tea before
2: bed, I'm, I'm up peeing all night. <laughs> exactly. Not. I always drink water before bed. I mean, not, not a ton of water, but I always try to drink at least a good 12 ounces or so before bed because my, my room gets baked during the day, so it stays kind of dry.
3: Yeah, before bed for us uh, pee-pee people, that's a bad thing to do.
0: <laughs> I'm with Melissa. I, I'll drink a cup of tea to help me go to sleep and stay asleep, and it works really well.
1: Have you ever tried melatonin? Because that's a naturally occurring medication that you can use to get into sleep rhythm.
2: I've even tried a, a like a OTC melatonin valerian mix too. It did nothing for me mm-hmm. whatsoever.
1: Wow. That stuff knocks me
3: out. You know what else knocks you out? Working to the bone.
2: Not for Humphrey Davy, it didn't. <laughs> 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 no,
3: he was he was enthusiastic about everything.
2: And have the energy for it too. Yes. The zest for life and discovery. He really, really, really enjoyed what he did. And yeah. That's beautiful. But uh, that's all I've got on nitrous parties and ether parties and misuse of chloroform and traveling (laughs) medical sideshows where people go on stage and act stupid.
3: You know, I kind of feel like we have an evolved modernized version of those kinds of parties these days
0: like i said we still do the same junk today that we did back then it's Mm -hmm. just slightly different in the age of technology
3: so i love uh, how humanity hasn't evolved oh no we don't
0: (laughs) we think we evolved because of the changes that we've made exactly pertaining to things like if we think about it the industrial revolution the um, the age of technology that we're currently in, the age of medicine that came about. We think we evolve. What we really do is we stay stagnant and make discoveries. That's yeah. all it is. I mean, even to, this not even,
3: even to this day, a lot of us still laugh at fart jokes. The oldest joke in history was a fart joke. We have <laughs> not changed.
1: You know, I think it's a part of human nature, that escapist quality. Or wanting to get closer, connected to God. So anything that can take us out of ourselves, really speaks to human nature and something within us mm-hmm. that we want to explore. So I think it comes down to that.
3: Another thing that could imply to that, or along those lines, would be uh, a quote that my friend quoted from. I guess some sort of philosopher, or or something like that. Can't remember which. It was a long time ago, but reality is good but I wouldn't want to live in it
2: I like that it's kind of like ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. yes but not always it just depends on what you're ignorant of
0: yeah I'm talking about the situation that she's talking (laughs) about in this sense like you wouldn't (laughs) want to live in reality you want to live in ignorance
3: you want to live in the escaped world and your fantasy land and up in the clouds I wouldn't say that's ignorance
1: I wouldn't say wanting it. to live outside of yourself is ignorance. No. You can you can, you can can discover a lot of profound things outside of yourself. The I mean, Pisces a lot of me talking here, you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Lot- like Ignorance is, is wanting to be ignorant of knowledge. This is escaping towards knowledge is what I'm speaking to. You know, some I mean, people just- find...
3: Just look at some of the artists, some of the artists uh, like Picasso and uh, Van Gogh. Some of them actually did a a sort of drug to get those. Yeah, Beatles, like the 70s. A lot of people took drugs (laughs) and they actually created a lot of iconic art pieces.
2: I think it also, it's it's a mix of the two, I think, because going to the we make a lot of discoveries but things are stagnant we think we evolve but we really don't we want to escape the day-to-day by living in our fantasy world but also we don't want to be completely cut off from reality for forever the average life of a day-to-day human existence is kind of boring it's depressing not always but sometimes just Boring. you work you eat maybe you socialize a little bit and you sleep and then there's, start very, over. there's very very mm-hmm. little that you're doing that makes a major impact on a day-to-day basis so sometimes you just want to take the day off from existing as a human as a human yeah <laughs> and, and just it just escape in your head Look, I'm a person on a hamster wheel give me give me some of that
3: stuff and now I'm a hamster on a hamster (gasps) wheel
2: oh my gosh Lauren Lauren it's that video I had you watch yesterday with the cat on the wheel and then it came off and it's like no I'm dead (laughs) 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 Um, but that's gonna be it for today thank you buddy thank you for having
3: us on
1: yes that was a blast
3: We'll close
0: out and that'll do for this episode of history explains it all hey <laughs> where can they find us lauren you can find us on facebook or instagram at history explains it all underscore podcast or you know you can you want to contact us history explains all at gmail.com go we'll be
2: waiting <laughs>
0: yeah uh, also tell us what free- you
2: think yeah Feel free to leave us a rate and review on iTunes. And again, if you listen to us on Spotify, don't forget to check out the episode notes in case we post any episode-specific questions or polls. Yes, please
1: participate in the polls. They are so much fun.
2: Well, the Spotify polls are slightly different. They're there for the specific episodes, not oh, for- Oh, okay, I thought you were
1: trying Spotify- to get me. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean- But we do have polls that decide what episode we do. Yes. So
3: polls on know.
2: polls, dance on them, answer them, who cares? Polls. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be it. So I guess we'll sign off and we'll see everybody in the new year. Yeah. Happy New Year, folks. Happy yeah. New Year. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.
1: You guys I was going to say the liquid one's like a good party trick. It sounds yeah. like you know, when you take shots with a flame. Oh it's a yeah. Imagine <laughs> the taste though. <laughs> for people who breathe fire, you know, those carnies that do that. So I, they probably used it for that.